This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest, Lawrence McCahills, the co-founder of the Happy Startup School, a thriving community of purpose-based entrepreneurs. And if you are at all interested in anything to do with what it takes to be truly happy in your working life, then this is the podcast for you. We talk about everything from unhappiness at work, being selfish, building community, running agency businesses with purpose and meaning. We get into all manner of fascinating stuff around the oxymoron that is happiness and entrepreneurship, whether or not it's even possible, whether or not we should even think about creating a business that also makes us happy. God knows it's hard enough just building a business that survives, let alone serving any higher purpose functions. They've built this amazing engaged community off the back of it as well of thousands of entrepreneurs. And it just looks like so much fun. They take them around the world on these three-day festival outings where they bring together leading minds from the worlds of startup, happiness, and innovation. He's on a mission to inspire, connect, and really motivate entrepreneurs and leaders that want to create lives and businesses rich rich with purpose. He is just a really fascinating, charming, very intelligent guy with just a, a fascinating business and career background. He's He was formerly in the city and then set up an agency business himself. I think you'll find this conversation absolutely fascinating. I had a great time speaking with him. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Lawrence McCahill. Lawrence McCahill is on a mission to inspire, empower, and connect entrepreneurs and leaders that want to create lives and businesses rich with purpose. After running a digital agency for 10 years, then closing it when it was thriving, Lawrence and his co-founder have devoted themselves to realizing their vision of, at the Happy Startup School, creating experiences, programs, and an accidental community of like-minded people. Lawrence McCahill, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hey, hey, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a long time because also there's so many places that we can go with this conversation, like you've done so much in your career. Everything, we can talk about everything from happiness at work to purpose, belonging, community building, everything you're doing at the Happy Startup School, which I think is absolutely fascinating. But let's start with your background. Mm. You started your career in the city presumably because you thought that's what smart, successful people should do who want to be happy and make a lot of money. <laughs> um, why did you start your career there? I'd love to think it was that strategic. <laughs> it's really, I think it's something I fell into. I think like a lot of us, we, we're good at something. We study something we're good at. I studied economics at university and the natural next step was to to go work in the city. I traveled for about a year and a half to avoid the idea of work uh, before before doing that, but then took a role in the city and found quite quickly that it it just wasn't for me. That you know it ticked a lot of boxes in terms of the money and the the role in terms of the things I could do, but in some ways it's probably the best experience of my life because the company I was in, the culture was pretty poisonous. And it was almost like the worst work experience you can imagine in a 10 month kind of window. And so in some ways I look back on it as one of the, I guess the turning points in my life really early on seeing how actually money doesn't make us happy. So whilst I might've thought that was the case within a few days, I think of being in that company, seeing people who were earning big amounts of money with uh, all the sort of trappings of wealth, but just seeing how lost they were and how, I guess just how little time they had. Mm. That's one thing that struck me in that role was just, uh, you know, they had they had six-figure salaries, maybe more in some cases, but they were just working to the cows come home and so didn't see their kids very often and, and almost family and mm. free time felt like a distraction to the important thing, which was work and bringing in money. And that, for me, was not really what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Mm. So after about 10 months in the city, you then decided that that wasn't for you and you wanted to sort of create a new life for yourself. Is that what led you to found your own agency? Because I understand that you ran a pretty successful agency for about 10 years, creating lots of digital products and services. What happened after you left the city? Um, well, to be honest, one of the reasons I left was, I think, A, I couldn't see a path for myself in that 
in that world. So I just thought anything's better than this. It got to that point where, you know, <laughs> working in a supermarket was more appealing than than putting on a shirt and tie and having to put on an act, which it felt like I was doing every day. Um, mm. And so what I realized at the time was I had a creative side, which I'd kind of hadn't tapped into. And, and to some extent, probably at the point of that crossroads at school where you're making decisions about which subjects to take, you've got the kind of creative route or the sensible route. And I took the sensible route, um, what I thought was a sensible route. And actually I realized in that role and some of the freelance or kind of temp jobs I've done before that, that, yeah, there's a creative side that I hadn't tapped into. So I actually discovered the idea of web design as a, as a, it wasn't even a career then, it was just an idea, the idea of like being able to make websites. And so I taught myself in my spare time in that role, and over the next few months, how to build websites. And so basically blagged my way as a designer into some companies and agencies in London. At that time was, I think, 1999, 2000, started the sort of first dot-com boom. So mm. to be honest, there was no one or very few people who could do that. And so mm. it was easy to get work because there was loads of people who wanted to build websites and and that sort of thing and no one who could do it. So mm. that's how that started. And, and I did that for five years. So before we set up the agency, I, I freelanced in London, uh, mainly because no one would offer me a role as a full-time designer because I didn't have a design background. I was really blagging it and I was working agencies where people had been to St. Martin's and had a real kind of textbook design career, um, sure. or certainly apprenticeship. And I was literally like geeking up on every book I could find and just trying to, you know, put on that mask and be that imposter until I felt like I was actually good at it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the natural next step then was to set up on my own with a, a friend of mine. You then ran a very successful agency for about 10 years, as we said, building digital products and services for lots of companies. But then you say, and I love this quote, running an agency is a great education, but no way to live your life. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> well, that's actually not something I, I, I quote, uh, quote a friend of mine, Ray, uh, Ray Richards is a, a friend of mine in Brighton, he used to run a, a big SEO agency and now got bought out by iCrossing, uh, a US company. And he he actually said that to me probably about halfway into my agency days. And it struck me, struck me as being something really, it was really annoying to hear because in the midst of it, then I had a clear vision for what the agency was going to be. Sure. But it stuck with me because I think his point was, and something I'd say to people now, it's not that it's a bad career choice or business choice to set up an agency. I just think you learn so much on that journey and the education piece being, you know, you're working for others, you're, you know, you're learning every time you do a project with clients, you know, it's a people thing. You're trying to work out how to navigate situations and make things better for everyone concerned, your team, your customers, yourself. But I often think it's what you do with that, you know, what you do with that education. And sometimes it can be turning that into the agency you want to build. But often I found it can be focusing on your own products or, or even starting something new that, is more what you want to build rather than just maybe what your clients want to build. And so mm. for me, that became the point where my autonomy was suffering as a result of running an agency. And that was just the way we built the company. It wasn't that it it's a bad model. It's just the way myself and Carlos, my co-founder, had set it up. Mm. We were so intertwined in the development and the delivery of the projects that it was really hard to sort of unpick that and to, yeah, to kind of use it to work for us rather than work for everyone else but us. Let's talk a little bit about the Happy Startup School. You, you started the Happy Startup School in 2013. Tell us a little bit about what the Happy Startup School is and the problems that you solve. By the way, Leanne Grimshaw put me on to you. She, she, she's the founder of Superreal. She is probably the biggest fan of the Happy Startup School and what you guys are doing. And every day that I went into work with, when I was working with her, she was just like, guy, check these guys out. It's amazing. Sharing the, your content with everyone in the agency. Tell us a little bit about the Happy Startup School and what factors led to you setting it up in 2013. Um, well, thanks to Leanne, the checks in the post. Uh, <laughs> Leanne's amazing. She's a force of nature. Um, so what led, what led us to set it up was actually, it wasn't a, it wasn't a business decision for first and foremost. It wasn't like we want to set up this new company and start this whole mission. It really was just a seedling of an idea at the time, which was actually born out of a frustration where we were at with the agency. And it wasn't the agency was doing badly, far from it. It was just that I think I'd been doing this kind of work, like client work for 15 years by that point, you know, as the agency for 10 and as a freelancer for five. And I was just fascinated by the idea of building startups in particular, but any business that was driven by something other than just making money. Um, and 
part of the reason for that was we get clients coming to us. So we actually evolved the agency from just a traditional web design agency into a startup studio. So we were working with um, first-time entrepreneurs often or people within organizations who wanted to build new products, digital products. And so we would help them build the product and design it. But more than anything at the beginning, really help them to unpick why they were why they were building it so we could understand the story, what was driving it, and the, therefore help them with the brand and the, the idea around it. And uh, and that led us to questioning people more than anything. We're doing a lot of um, guerrilla coaching, I think, where we were kind of asking people questions they didn't want to answer or didn't even know the answer to. Mm. And that's the interesting thing was how, what, what fascinated me as a designer was what made people start things. You know, what was it about them wanting to start a business that was making them do it? You know, aside from this makes sense on the balance sheet or, uh, to, yeah, what's what's in this for me? And sometimes people didn't really think about that enough or didn't even care. And so I found myself uh, getting a bit frustrated with some of the clients that were coming to us because they just wanted to build the next Facebook or Basecamp. They weren't really interested in the the story behind it, the why, the, the impact they were looking to make. Um, it was really just about, building a company to sell it. Mm. And that is, a, is an approach. You know, it's the kind of model that a lot of startups follow, but mm. we just got frustrated because we work on projects for say six months to a year with them. And if you didn't really believe in it in the beginning, you definitely won't believe in it by the end. And so it became more important for us, particularly as me and Carlos had young kids, we were, you know, every we hour we spent at work was, was sacrificing time with our family and loved ones. So it was important to us that, we believed in the projects we were taking on and we you know, put a heart and soul into it like they would because for all these entrepreneurs, this was their baby. And so it wasn't just as simple as, you know, they're working for a company. This is thing that keeps them up at night. And so often they'd expect that it would keep you up at night too as a, mm. as a kind of sparring partner. So really the Happy Startup School was born out of this idea that wouldn't it be uh, interesting? What would it look like if we brought more happiness and impact to entrepreneurship and not just looking at the the hockey stick growth, which a lot of people just followed. And, and it was just that idea really just sharing it as a, not even a side project, just as a, as a kind of webpage, I think we put up in a, <clears throat> a, a kind of manifesto just as a rallying cry to see who else out there thinks that business, and this is like, you know, eight, nine years ago now, now it seems kind of obvious, but then it didn't. The idea that you could think about impact, the thing you could think about purpose, you could think about making yourself happy, making your team happy, having a, a community around you or an audience around you who love you for what you do. Uh, those are the things we started to share and that slowly started us to get on the road of, of building this community, which like you said, was very much accidental. It wasn't something we planned, but it's been a nice kind of side effect of what we're doing. So many places we can go with this now. So Seth Godin has this thing where he talks about the dip and he talks about the importance of entrepreneurs having a reason why behind why they do what they do because inevitably when you're building anything you come to a point where it's like it's hard it's hard you know you struggle you struggle to get out of bed you struggle to get the motivation and in those times you need a deeper reason why that's the reason why you get out of bed and like put in that extra work and do what you do mm -hmm. so from your point of view is that the reason why you feel entrepreneurs need to have a bigger reason why a purpose behind what they're building because it adds more credence and, and, and validity mm -hmm. and actually makes them work harder towards the end goal of creating what they want to create talk about the importance of purpose mm. to the entrepreneur i could spend an hour just on that <laughs> <laughs> i think there's so many reasons why why I think that is important. And we hear this a lot. So, you know, Seth Godin says it, Simon Sinek says it, you know, you hear, start with why. It's kind of, it's Instagrammable. It's hard to live it. It's hard to know why. There's so many reasons for me. One would be, yes, it helps you with the dip. You know, there's, entrepreneurship is not easy. It's a tough gig. It's not a path that most people probably should follow because, you know, we're wired differently. I just think we're wired differently. And so, that comes at the cost sometimes of your own well-being, your insanity, because you're just, you know, you're sleeping on this. It's 24-7. So, you know, there might be some times in your journey where you have more bad days than good days. And so if you're not really clear on that, why, what's in it for you, that intrinsic motivation, then I think you're just going to suffer. You know, your well-being will suffer. The business will probably suffer. The people around you will pick up on that. And I think it rubs off on the on the work you would do. 
the flip side of that for me is the the why for your audience, the why for your team, the the kind of rallying cry for your community potentially if you're looking to build that. So for me, the two sides are the same coin. Just like when we were working with companies before we talk about brand and culture being two sides of the same coin. You know, what what it feels like on the inside is how it looks on the outside. More more so now than ever. You can't really hide behind a clever campaign anymore. It's about what happens from from the inside of the company. So I think it's twofold. It's it's what's in it for you and how that can help drive you as a leader or a founder to build the business you want to build and to, you know, feel great even on the days when it's going badly or at least feel okay about it or accept what's going on for you rather than it's like pushing a boulder uphill and you're pushing for that goal that maybe never happens. And if it does happen, you get there and then what? And so, you know, I've met so many people who've sold companies and it's just felt like, a massive anticlimax mm. you know they built they built a business for that end goal and then they get the end goal and then they just feel empty inside because they might have the, half their life ahead of them and they've they've kind of reached the peak and it's only down from there in lots of ways so i think that deeper meaning that purpose that why call it what you will is i think the most important thing because i think a it's good for you but i think it's good for the business too, because more and more it's been proven that companies with a, a strong story and a strong purpose outperform those that don't, particularly during the pandemic as well. Mm. Um, the companies we want to survive are the ones we care about, the ones we love, not the ones who are just there to make a quick buck. So I think more and more people are cottoning onto this as a not just the right thing to do, but a sensible business move as well. So your unique approach brings together the science of happiness and entrepreneurship together. How are you defining happiness and then happiness and entrepreneurship? Because at times it is like pushing a boulder uphill. Like yeah. that's 90% of how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, you're, and you're probably asking yourself daily, why am I, why doing, am I doing this again? Just yeah. get a job. What is it that line? Entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week uh, to avoid working 40 hours a week for someone else. <laughs> right, right. That's it. <laughs> I think that's, that's true. So I think it's important to define it or at least our definition of it because happiness, like you said, it's such a loaded word. Even when we say it, people are like, what's all that about? You bunch of hippies in Brighton, <laughs> you know, hippie startup school. Um, right. It's for, Happiness for us is a, is a much richer definition than most people would give it. I think a lot of people think of happiness as instant joy or pleasure, you know, instant gratification, like feeling great, smiling, you know, being all jovial, you know, smiley, happy people, that kind of thing. Fake happiness, I'd call that, or certainly not very long-term happiness. Mm. The way we think about it is, I think that the nearest we got to it is probably Gandhi's quote, which is happiness is when what we think, what we say and what we do are in harmony. Mm. And for me, I think that's about something other than just that instant pleasure. It's about a contentment. It's about alignment with your values, what you actually believe and how you live those rather than just say it and don't live it. And so... For me, it's that kind of congruence, really, of all those things of, you know, what you do each day, what you say and what you think, just trying to move those together. And I think that's why it aligns with business, because I think if you just think about yourself separate from the business and try and find happiness in other ways um, or find happiness when you get to the destination you're aiming for, then you're never going to get there because it's that's just about... Uh, an ego thing rather than something that's much more deep i think so for me happiness and entrepreneurship yes it's an oxymoron but actually i'm fascinated by the overlap between things the overlap between different different disciplines and things that seemingly don't shouldn't go together mm. i think that sparks curiosity in people and so even if we mention what we do even if people don't get it they're curious and i think that's always a good uh a good trait to have for any any idea or organization is if you can spark a conversation with someone then people start talking about their own happiness or what their work means to them so yeah I, i'm fascinated by and it's not an easy path as well that's one thing to say is it would be a lot easier for us to build businesses purely focused on something you can measure i.e the balance sheet money mm. um it's a lot harder to build businesses that are more intangible and people want to know how you can measure this stuff but to be honest, I don't really care. If you can't measure it, I don't think you need to measure the best stuff. A lot of the best things in life aren't things you can measure. Mm. But I think it's important to capture stories and anecdotes that highlight why this stuff's important. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of journey we're on is trying to explore what this looks like, not just on our own, but with a group of people who are also trying to work it out. So a big part of what you talk about at the Happy Startup School is the importance of meaning for the entrepreneur 
and that they need to find meaning in their work and, and, and their lives. And that's, and that's really crucial. How do you find meaning yourself in your life? And what gives your life happiness and meaning with what you're doing at the moment? Mm. I would say, I think the thing that to, to be aware of, and I'm always cautious of with this work, um, and we get this a bit with people who come to our events or, or programs is they're obsessed by finding their thing, you know, their purpose, their calling, call it what you will, you know, this is my life's mission. I've discovered it like that kind of eureka moment. And now I'm off from my experience. Life doesn't work like that. And so I think that's one thing just to be aware of when we talk about this is it's not something you just find and lands in your lap and then you're off. Um, I think it's really important to think about what you find meaningful at that time now, like today, you know, that's, that's, I think where this path starts. So for me, I can talk about at the moment, because in the past, if you ask me that question, I'd say gathering people together, you know, in the real world, we love hosting, we love building community, we love doing events, we love being out in nature. Um, We haven't been able to do those things, certainly as a group for a long, long time. So how I found meaning in this short term is actually the same thing, just in a different way, which is it's about connection. It's about contribution. It's about creativity um, for me. And through that, I get my kicks. So I, I'm not like a completely selfless person where I don't get something back from this far from it. Mm. But I know that I love working with others. I love working with people who I respect, who I admire, who inspire me. And then we we both benefit from that. So meaning for me is really about connection more than anything these days. I think it's so important to mm. feel connection with other people and that kinship that particularly at the moment is so difficult. You know, people are feeling isolated and lonely and it's kind of an epidemic of a sort we're not really talking about enough, I think, is this, at all. this isolation. Yeah, and it's more of a slow burner as well. And, that, and that's the scary thing mm. is that some of this stuff, the ripples of which we probably won't see for a long time is it, becomes the norm you know I put a post out today to this to our list about this is you know we've been told for a long time like my problem's my problem your problem's your problem you know it's the society we're in has taught us that being an individual is the way to go which is nonsense you know it's it never was like that but it has been the last sort of 50 years or so the idea that you know the self-help kind of brigade and all that thing is is about you fixing yourself you worrying about your own problems but I actually think and one thing I've learned is through community, we can help each other. And actually your problem becomes my problem. You know, mm. you're not going to solve it on your own because you can't because you're too close to it. And so I think a lot of the most powerful ways to, I think, change behavior or to move towards the things we want to achieve in life are done in community rather than individually. And I think that's where the meaning piece comes in is if I'm just in it for me, then who else benefits? You know, why would people want to support that? You look great. And, it's, and this is where the the world's gone is we've got a handful of billionaires who are earning more money than the rest of the world put together. Mm. And they're the winners. I mean, they've, they've kind of won at the game. doesn't mean it's right, but they, they're the success stories. And so if that's the world we've created, then that's the end result. And so I think that's, as we've found out, is not sustainable and not necessarily something that we think is right either, but it's just the way things are. So I guess we're trying to build this more grassroots movement where mm. everyone benefits, even if we don't have those sort of winners and losers, you know, because ultimately if Jeff Bezos is winning, how many other people have lost as a result mm. of that, that, that company succeeding? So that's where I find some of the narrative around entrepreneurship is challenging because you can't get those unicorns unless you get thousands of others who've kind of fallen away in, in, in the path. Really? Is, is that the way you think of it then? So billionaires that have, um, you know, amassed a huge amount of wealth and become very successful financially, do you take some issue with the way that they've made their money? You know, the, the Bezoses, the Bill Gates of, of, of this world, the Warren Buffetts. Presumably they've done, they've created that wealth through adding value to their customers and, and the world, right? Through entrepreneurship. And also to a certain extent, I guess when, and this is just my own personal opinion, when they get to a certain point in their lives and they've amassed so much wealth, they actually stop thinking about themselves and they start thinking about the world right like mm-hmm. you, you look at bill gates and his charitable foundations and you you could argue that amazon is doing a lot for you know jeff bezos is doing a lot for the world in terms of you know other charitable things that he's he's doing and many billionaires are doing that probably not as many as we'd like but do you take issue with the vast amounts of wealth that entrepreneur billionaires are able to make isn't that kind of just like 
part of the system. That's the game of capitalism and entrepreneurship, right? Shouldn't we be allowed to do that? Yeah. Um, but then, but then give back if we want to. Again, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's the system we're in. It's the game we're in. It's not that they're, they're wrong or they're bad people. They may be, they may be lovely people. I don't know. But I, th- I think it's more the fact of that's the way we've been rewarded is to chase growth, to chase you know, success in that way. And so my issue with it is less about them as individuals. It's more about the system and how the system promotes that. And naturally, it's like if you reward someone for anything, they're going to chase that reward, even if it's not necessarily good for them or makes them perform better. You know, if you mm. give people a salary rise, doesn't mean they're going to be better at what they do. And if any way, it's been proven that it has the opposite effect. So mm. I think it's just about what the game we're in. And like you said, for the, for the capitalist world we're in, they're, they're the success stories. That's fine. But I think it's not sustainable. And that's the issue with it is, you know, Amazon's been proven not to treat their employees very well. Mm. there's always a cost with this stuff and my issue is more with the the mentality of make loads of money and then give it away you know it's the philanthropic kind of model almost to actually why not just bake that in from the start why Mm. why think of purpose 20 years later yeah because we don't have the time now right and I think that's the issue is um you know we found is it's not about being a charity or being a really hard-nosed businessman and that's the kind of the story we've been told is you're either a kind of highly successful entrepreneur or you're a, a cause and you ask for money. And, and and there's a massive middle ground now where actually you can do both. You can have a really strong story, a really strong cause, and it can be a very successful business too. Mm. And that's what we're interested in is, yeah, when you create value, like you said, then there's an opportunity there. And so mm. it's less about cap in hand, asking for money. And it's more about, no, we're creating value. And maybe we're more expensive because we've got a, a really strong story. If you look at Patagonia and some of these companies, you know, you don't, sure. you can't get a cheap jacket from Patagonia. You buy their clothes because <laughs> they're great and you love them. And that's, I think, where the world's heading. Bench Press 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. Okay, so let's talk about the Happy Startup School in a bit more depth because you talked about the live events that you do and I guess all of that stuff has shifted online now, but you've built an amazing community. Talk about what makes up the Happy Startup School. Mm. Who are your customers typically? Like who are the people that are part of your community? And at what stage do they find you like where are they in their own lives in their own journeys when they make contact and sort of Mm. get involved in the happy startup school it's a great question and we've battled with this for a long time because if you'd have asked me when we started it would even the first couple of years it would be you know we're helping people who are at the start of an idea who want to launch a new business but want to do it with purpose you know they're not doing it just to make money it's important to make money but they've got a different measure of success that takes into account other factors what we've learned over the years is actually it tends to be people at a turning point, I think. And there's a great book called Second Mountain, which I think talks to where a lot of the people we come into touch with are at, which is, I would say they're on their path, which David Brooks is the author of the book. He talks about people being on their second mountain. And the first mountain would typically be like we talked about at the beginning, you know, me on the path to being a successful analyst in the city. You know, I didn't last long, but a lot of people might have been on that journey for decades, if not ever, ever, um, which is, you know, you're chasing the kind of traditional measures of success. It would be material wealth, money, maybe status. People on the second mountain tend to be looking at their life and work more about commitment to something and building community into that too. And some people bypass that. So they might be young and they're kind of a millennial and they're thinking about doing something meaningful with their life from day one. But more often than not, it tends to be people who are on their second mountain or second career. And it could be that they had a really quick journey like me where they realized really early on that this isn't for them and I want to out, you know. It could be that life 
has hit them with something could be a death of a loved one or an illness to them or someone they know close but something's shaken them up that's a common one and it's a massive one because then people see us and they're like oh happy I need that (laughs) because I know I want that or I'm not there now and so it's that that turning point I think where people realize yeah I I realize what's important to me I realize how short life is I want to make this count I'm not sure what that is and I want to do that with others because it's lonely. Like like we talked about before, it's a really lonely thing to do, to take a mm. courageous step to walk away from a career or a, um, a position that's on the outside great, but on the inside feels hollow. And so that's where we come in. I think it's mm. being around others who are trying to work that out is, I think, the only way you can do it so that you feel supported through that transition. And what are the main tenets of the Happy Startup School? How do people get involved? Like, what are the main points of engagement? Mm. So I'd say a lot of people tend to follow our our emails. So that's the starting point for a lot of people is they, um, I mean, Medium in the past was a great platform for us for blogging. So a lot of people would read our posts and then through that, they would just follow our list. And the mad thing is we've had some people follow us for like four or five years and they come on their first event or come on their first uh, online course or something. So that's helped us to build a lot of trust, but it is a really slow, long road to, to building uh, a relationship with someone. But that's great because that means that by the time they're ready to join in whatever way that looks like for them, they know us, they trust us and they understand what our ethos is all about. Mm. Um, but typically, I mean, obviously at the moment, online's a thing. So we have an online community of um, entrepreneurs and change makers where we support them through some live events, lots of discussions and all of our resources going back you know, to when we started, some uh, tools and Uh, tips and classes for people to take we have an online program which we run twice a year which Leanne was part of called 2020 vision and that's kind of where my time is mainly spent at the moment okay it's a a group coaching program for each cohort's about 20 founders and we take them on a five-month journey of I guess you call it like self-leadership and product development so we get people to balance this act between trying to work out what it is they want to create for their business whether it's the new business or existing business uh, and we call that their excite strategy rather than exit strategy. So it's like how you can get more drive and excitement from your work rather than just, you know, build it to sell it and flip it. Mm. And then link to that, how you can create something at the end of the program that would help you work towards that goal. And that's the important part for us is using our skills and experience and building products quickly to get people out of their head and into something that they can test out quickly. Um, and that's been amazingly valuable over the last year to go on that journey with people, particularly during covid as almost everyone in some way has to pivot their offering or business to navigate this shitstorm we're in. <laughs> <laughs> to put it, to put it, um, yeah, one way. Um, what's the size of the community that you've built? Um, it depends how you define it, really. We've probably got over 100,000 on our on our mailing list. Um, wow. And that's, you know, there's a, a good core group of definitely a few thousand who are regular sort of listeners, watchers who've been to our events. You know, we've run our summer camps are probably our most... I guess people know us most for that, our summer camp, which happens every year. It's happened every year since 2013. And that's been our real community builder. Mm. And that's where a lot of people have come from. And we get now close to 200 people every September come to that. And that's a three-day sort of micro-festival almost, talks, workshops, and experiences. And off the back of that, we've started the online community. We've Mm. run retreats all around the world. So every few months pre-COVID, we were either going off to the Alps, which is our kind of second home for doing these retreats, or we'd been to the States and India to run them. And and these are more founders who tend to be further along. So a bit like us, these were the events we wanted when we were running the agency. Sure. And so the first time we ran a retreat was our altitude retreat in, in, in the Alps in 2015. And that actually helped us to close our agency. So mm. we encouraged people to pitch a challenge they were facing with their business on a, on a hike on the mountains. Mm. And everyone kind of egged me on to do one too and then ended up sharing the idea that I wasn't really happy with the agency and then came down the mountain and then seven days later we decided to close the agency and and set that path in motion so mm. yeah this stuff is powerful because it creates that space where you can share and get help that maybe you didn't even know you needed mm. but you're with people who really understand it and get it and know what you're about and that's why we do these things you know whether it's online or offline mm. we do them for ourselves as much as anyone because they're a lot of fun and mm. we get so much back you know we always look like you doing this podcast you get to meet people you learn something 
and you just get out of your own head for a bit and just, you know, away from work and just switch off and focus on something else. So let's talk about how you build a successful community, because that's something that a lot of people listening to this would be interested in. And people like Seth Godin and, you know, uh, you know, uh, go down the list. So many um, thought leaders talk about the importance of building a community of like-minded people that see the world in the same way that you do, who um, are able to sort of go on the journey that you're creating. What are the components of building a successful online or offline community and what have been the most successful kind of milestones in the building of your community for the happy startup school it's a question i get asked a lot and the interesting thing about it is i think a lot of people who ask that question don't actually want to start a community they just want a really loyal audience and i think it's an important distinction because i you know we, the word community is banded around a lot now mm. And you can use a community to define a group of people who have a shared interest. But from my experience, community is about more than just me to you or you to me. It's about, you know, them to each other. It's about creating a space where your community can interact with each other and you don't need to be there. You've created that safe environment for them to interact, collaborate, do what you want them to do, or they work out what they want to do. But it is a, it is a genuine community. And I think that's an important distinction because often I find when I'm coaching people, it quickly becomes clear that they don't want to run a community because it's a lot of work. It's a real, it is like a way of life, you know. It is. And I think that's why it's an important thing to work out early on is do you actually want to build a community? Because a lot of brands talk about that now. Sure. And they get community managers in. But I would say, and one of my things to say about communities, it's about authenticity. So if your desire to build your community is about wanting to sell more stuff, that will probably come through mm. because it feels as if that's the reason you're doing it. If you're doing it for genuine reason that you actually want to start community and build those relationships and nurture those, then that's something that you will, I think, do more authentically and it will shine through the, the work you do and the effort you put in. So I think that's an important distinction. Um, in terms of starting one and growing one, from my experience, it is as painstaking as thinking of it as one person at a time. And I think of Kevin Kelly's thing about a thousand true fans. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice thing to look at as Seth Godin talks about this too. You know, you don't need to be famous. You don't need to have take over the world. You know, you can be very famous within a very, very, very small niche. Mm. And so if it was possible for you to build a community of a thousand people, what would that look like? Would that be, would that help you build a sustainable business? And is it something you have the energy for? Um, and if it is, then it's not that many people, right? So every conversation you have, becomes one person to add to your tribe or even if they don't they'd send you somewhere else mm. so we've really just focused on depth rather than breadth in terms of community building so whilst we have a huge amount of people on our list clearly we don't know all those people what we have focused on is having programs and experiences where we go deep with a smaller group and really get to know them and really understand their world and then through that they become ambassadors for what we're doing not intentionally just because they they've seen so much value from it and so I think myself and Carlos, who's my co-founder, we both have a need for belonging and we both have a need for um, contribution and we both love hosting and we both love um, being around a diverse mix of people. You know, we were brought up together, we went to school together in, a, in West London in a Catholic school and oh, did you? all our friends were from all around the world. I mean, we were second generation immigrants. I was the... yeah. I was the, the Irish guy, but it was like Sri Lankan, Filipino, um, black, everything. And so Brilliant. Our, our, our background was very diverse. And so that's something we tried to bring to the communities, that feeling of we had that amazing upbringing where family was everything, friends were everything. And we started a business together as friends. So why would we not share that with more people? And that's where I think we get our kicks is actually we're just trying to share that friendship that we have with with everyone and I think that helps to create that bond amongst our community because people love that if they can get it in business even better mm. and so people feel that they're just at home you know that's the biggest compliment I think I've ever been paid is people come to an event from you know 5,000 miles away they don't know a soul and they turn up and they feel like they can just be themselves at home mm. and that's that's a nice nice kind of reward for for what we're doing. Belonging. Love it. Um, there are a million questions that we haven't got the time to like get into. Like we're going to have to get you back on the show. <laughs> uh, final question before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the show, which we ask all of our 
I guess. I'm, I listened to an interview that you did with Ashmeet Kapoor. Mm. Uh, he's, he's the founder of um, Organic just last week. I think you put it out. Uh, he's a well-being coach, really fascinating story that he's got. He talks about the importance of self-care and self-kindness. And he acknowledged that those things were buzzwords uh, in, in sort of life today. But they're kind of words that agency owners, probably a lot of agency owners that are listening to this show, probably don't hear that much. What do they mean to you? Mm. Yeah, and I'm always conscious of, you know, we've been on this path for a few years now. If you shared some of these concepts with me, then I'd probably you know, poo-poo it and not feel so comfortable talking about it. Um, so I'm conscious of that. But I, I just feel at the moment, all of us are battling with stuff, whether it's, you know, homeschooling, this pandemic, navigating our businesses and work through through this whole period. Um, so I think the idea of just looking after ourselves, call it what you will, self-care, self-kindness, compassion, um, but ultimately well-being, you know. And I've I've learned the hard way that, you can't push yourself too far. And if you do, then everything suffers. So I think it's just about flipping it. If you're thinking of it, it's too fluffy, too hippie, talking about these terms of looking after yourself, thinking of it, actually, how can you be at your best? You know, how can you Mm. perform at your best? And what is it that makes you produce your best work? And for me, it's not working 16 hour days, sweating about it. It's working as least as I need to, getting my sleep, looking after myself, Mm. all the boring stuff. But then I get my best ideas and then I'm at my most creative and I'm at my best when I'm around others. And so in some ways, it's not just, oh, this is a nice fluffy thing to do. It's kind of, I believe, integral to creativity and, and great ideas. 100%. In fact, um, Scott Adams, cartoon author and, and creator, I've, I listen to and read a lot, of his, a lot of his stuff. I really like him. He talks about life being a series of concentric circles. So like in the middle should be yourself. And then in the outer circle should be uh, your finances. And then the the third circle should be your family and friends. And then the last circle should be society and the impact that you want to make. And the reason why he says that, he says a lot of people would criticize him for putting yourself in the center. But he says without putting yourself at the center, you become a burden on society and other people and all the rest of it. So he says, sleep, eating well, exercise, are like the core fundamentals because those things optimize your energy. Mm. And once you have energy, you can have, you can do everything else that you need to do in life, right? You can run the business and be there for your friends and family and and add value to society. But if you don't have energy first and don't look after yourself first, nothing else is really possible. And I really kind of like that and go along with that. And I guess that goes back to your, you know, those core tenets of sleep, exercise, eating well, looking after yourself, because without that, we really don't have anything. Yeah. And I think linked to that fun as well. Yeah. Like all of the entrepreneurs who've inspired me the most and I've learned the most fun, the ones who just seem to make it look fun, even when it's not fun. <laughs> Do you know what <laughs> I mean? It's it's that confidence, I think, to go, no. I, and, I, and I think it isn't about being selfish. There's a word that um, Adam Grant used in his book, Give and Take, which he calls about, uh, says about being otherish. Otherish, um, and he's done loads of studies about successful people, successful givers and takers, and actually he's found that the most successful people tend to be the givers, yeah. But also the least successful people tend to be the givers, and the difference is the ones that are the most successful ones are the ones who have that kind of boundary between what they need and what they can contribute and give to others, and they really are clear about their own needs. And he talks about you know having their kind of their own needs in the rearview mirror. They're not just helping others. And, and I think that's a really important distinction is, yeah, you're not just being selfish. You're being the best version of you to be the best version of yourself for others, I think. Mm. Otherwise, you'll end up just giving too much. Um, we've met so many entrepreneurs, particularly ones who've got more of a social mission, who become martyrs and, and they end up burning out because they just give, 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 and they've just got nothing left. Mm. And particularly activists too. You look at the studies around activist, activism and it's just not sustainable because you're just giving all your energy to others and that ends up turning often into frustration and, and anger. And I think that's why is you lose sight of your own needs in that process. So interesting. I think it means, you know, we, we're almost a decade in. I don't think we'd have done that if we had just been kind of giving, giving all the time. Lawrence, I could speak to you all day. This is absolutely fascinating. We're running out of time. Let's get into our favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. So it's almost like who is the person behind the brand sort of questions. 
this is like the smash hits uh, kind of quick fire questions, is it? Quick fire questions, exactly. Yeah. But like these are our listeners' favorite questions. These are the ones that everyone's like, oh, this is what we were waiting for. We kind <laughs> of skip all the, the, you know, the first 40 <laughs> minutes. This is what we really want to know. Tell us about a time when you failed yep. and what you learned from the experience. Oh, well, I've already talked about my failed city career. Um, I think that's one of them. Um, in terms of business failures, I'm very cautious. So there's nothing that exciting to tell there. I'd probably say like education just generally for me. Like I, you know, traditional education, and this probably applies to everything I've ever done that's structured, I just fail at miserably. So I'm, I've learned the hard way that actually I'm good when I'm, I've got that kind of intrinsic motivation. But as soon as I'm like measured against anything, whether it's a job, a job or a, a kind of exam, like I was, I think academically quite smart. And I was predicted really high grades, but never achieved those grades. <laughs> and I don't know why. And I think maybe it's just because I just either got bored quick or I I just felt like it was something I should do. Um, same in a job. Like if I could see things I had to hit, I just got, I'd say, I guess that's why I'm running my own thing. It's just, I'd be a terrible employee or academic because, um, yeah, I'm just not that way motivated really. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, it's not something I'm trying to instill in my kids, far from it. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's one of those things that you look at and go, yeah, maybe whenever there's a target, I always fail it. So I've tried not to plan too much for the business because I just lose heart as soon as that happens. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about entrepreneurship, the way you think about purpose, happiness, yeah. um, and your own career development. Well, one that stands out for me is not someone I've met, but someone I've hugely inspired by who actually passed away recently, Tony Shea, who started Zappos in the US. <sighs> Um, what a shame yeah what a guy I mean we did a, a tribute to him a couple of weeks back with people who knew him well and, and he was someone who hugely inspired us because at that time close to a decade ago there's two books we read that inspired us to start Happy Startup School that was one so Delivering mm. Happiness great book and and The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. And, mm. and we read those books myself and Carlos both around the same time and that's why it made perfect sense to us as like happiness startups let's do this thing you know it's obvious um, we were driven by new ideas and innovation, but when you add that layer of, hang on, here's a, a billion dollar company that's put happiness at the core of its business with, with Zappos, then that was a big inspiration for us. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. His book was amazing and it really inspired me when I read it a few years ago, but it seems from what I'm hearing recently is that he wasn't actually a very happy person himself. Like yeah. he didn't really have a lot of friends and family around him yeah. um and he he it seems as though he was quite lonely um and that kind of mm-hmm. led him to this really dark dark place and it seems kind of weird that someone that created this amazing book and this amazing company and all this happiness with zappos could ultimately end up in the position that he ended up like talk a little bit about that it's a difficult one because if you talk to anyone who knew him well he was very private but he created this amazing, genuine, not just a brand, but a real strong ethos and culture. And they ended up helping loads of thousands you know, of other organizations start similar companies. I think the difficulty, and this maybe comes down to the billionaire thing of like, I think if you're driven to, and he was he was still driven by money too. There's no doubting that. It wasn't just about doing the right thing. Um, he was a businessman. He was commercially minded. He knew how to build great companies. He'd done it a few times. I, I just think there's something in entrepreneurs of that ilk that are hardwired to be almost driven to self-sabotage at some point. And he, yeah, obviously didn't have a, a happy ending. But I also wonder whether he'd lost his purpose in some ways. I think while he was building Zappos, they eventually sold to Amazon. Mm. He'd just been a few months into his retirement. Mm. And I do wonder whether that itself is um, a lesson too of like, Again, going back to the success thing, you've got all the money in the bank, but but what's getting you up each day? What's exciting you? What's your new thing? And mm. and maybe he would have gone on to do that, but I yeah, I do wonder too. Is like when you've achieved all those things, how you how you can still find that motivation to try something different? So um, yeah, it's a sad story, mm. but I guess his legacy is pretty outstanding too. So we can just look at that and be thankful for it. The books question. So. We've talked, this is, by the way, this is our listener's favorite question. So no pressure. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is our, this is the question that we get most emails and LinkedIn messages about. Like, what did it, you know, what did, what did it, what did your guest say this week? Um, you've talked about some amazing books so far, lean startup, give and take, 
Second Mountain, which I haven't heard of, but I'm going to definitely check out. Seth Godin, go down the list. Mm. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What books have been most influential to the way that you think about your own life and your own career journey? What books do you keep going back to time and time again? Tell us about some of your favorite books. Oh, there's so many. I think Ricardo Semler's books I always loved. So he wrote Maverick and Seven Day Weekend. Okay. So Ricardo Semler was kind of a really interesting entrepreneur who took over his dad's company and ended up completely changing the way it worked and just opening it out so everyone could create their own, uh, dictate their own salaries. And this was a kind of a big manufacturing business. It wasn't like a, you know, nice fluffy kind of designer studio or anything. It was a, a big proper business in some ways. Sure. Um, so his books really inspired me because his whole ethos was if you trust people, if you let them get on with what they do well and trust that they'll do the right thing, then amazing things happen. So he put a lot of faith in his workforce. So hence Seven Day Weekend in particular, mm. there's a great line in that, which really stuck with me actually over the years, is we're amazing at working late on Sundays, but we're terrible at taking our kids to the cinema on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> and that highlights for me the power of why else would you start a business other than to have those choices that, you know, to do those things. Sure. So I think, um, yeah, that's one that stuck with me over the years. Um, one I read recently, I think a lot of people probably have too, which has been a, a great one, Humankind tells the story of um i think the the myth almost that we've been told that if you base uh if you put a bunch of people together it's going to end up like lord of the flies you know this this theory that <coughs> we're all inherently bad bad people and, th- and bad things happen when you put people together and he tells a very different yeah. story around that and how actually we're all inherently good um you just need to see the best in people and uh so that was that's been a good one i think that's something that i would love to see at every school being taught because it's it's a different view of the world and I think that's the one thing about this stuff is if your view of the world's kind of fixed and closed then you're not going to be open to some of these concepts that we've talked about today whereas if you generally see the good in everyone you'll be inspired. Love it, okay. Lost Connections is another one. Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Um, it's probably the best book I've read in the last five years. Why? Johan Hari went on this quest to understand his own depression and anxiety and so he went on this five-year-long journey, and this book is around his kind of him trying to self-medicate, not through antidepressants, which he'd been on for like decades, but actually through understanding himself, understanding what was missing. And he talks about a lot of the things we talked about today, how basically as a society, I think he says something like, we're not, you know, you're not sick, you're just in a sick society, and, and how so many of us are struggling with some of this stuff, not because we're you know, do anything wrong. It's just the way the game we're playing. And so he talks about this disconnect between ourselves from each other, from meaningful work, from our values, from sometimes childhood trauma. And these are things that lead to depression and anxiety. And often we've been told that there's a story around a chemical imbalance in the brain, but actually it's about this kind of disconnect. And hence he talks about this idea of how you can reconnect with those things to to sort of fix yourself and create a better world. So yeah, it's hugely inspiring for me because it, it ties in a lot of things we do and, and kind of highlights the power of community really to make that happen. Amazing. It's another one which is brilliant. You might have had before, Daily Rituals. Daily Rituals. I know you've got a lot of creative agency founders on it, but Daily Rituals is brilliant because it highlights a lot of the uh, the rituals of like creative people in the past going back decades of what they used to do to get in their creative flow and there's some i mean there's a lot of alcohol and drugs <laughs> just as a headline <laughs> but it is that helps it, it is a brilliant um kind of pick me up if you're really battling with like how to find your flow or do that thing you want to do brilliant thank you for all of those suggestions by the way what's your approach to reading books like buying books what's your buy to read ratio by the way like how many of the books that you buy do you actually read and get through and complete like there's a japanese name isn't there for like stockpile i can't remember what the word is but there's a word for like stockpiling books that you don't ever read so apparently it's the thing really Um, it's a thing it's a thing yeah um my fiance hates me she's like where's the space in the apartment yeah i know there's too many books well yeah i think you can like it's important i've kind of got a few here um (laughs) It's weird because I would say if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I re- I rarely read. It's bizarre. I've only like been a reader the last decade or so since we've been on this journey. So um, my strategy at the moment is like buy books that look interesting, leave them around the house. And yeah, I've probably got like a book in every room. <laughs> so like if I'm in the bath, I'll read a book there. So there's probably about three or four books on the go. Yeah. But I've learned just to not try and for- not to finish books I don't like. So they are. 
some, some of them I just I give it ten pages. I'm like, look, dude, like, yeah. just if you're not Life's interested, too in short. It, yeah, just give it. That's up. it. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, my fiance is the opposite. She's like, if she starts something, she has to finish it. She's a finisher. Yeah. And I'm like, just give it up. Like, don't worry about it. If it's not good, it's not as. Don't make it a slog. It's supposed to be pleasurable. I know. My wife, my wife said that before. Like, oh yeah, it wasn't that great. The book didn't really like it. It's like, but you just spent like the last month reading it, right? Um, right. Yeah. No, I wish I was that person. But for me, it's just yeah, dip in and out. I like books that you can kind of just pick up and put down and not have to think too much. <laughs> cool. uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming? Oh, it's got to be Netflix for me. Um, I've been watching Surviving Death. That's a good one. Okay, what's that about? It's um, it's about near death experiences. It's about mediums and it's about reincarnation. Uh, it's like a six part series wow. I just finished. Yeah, it's interesting. Like showing stories of people who've um, who've had near death experiences and just the the patterns that come across regularly. So it kind of creates this, I guess, story around like what actually happens that kind of bit after life. It's it's there's some stuff in there you're just like nah, but there's quite a lot of it that gets you thinking about. Yeah, there's lots we don't know. Yeah, added to my list. Thank you for that. <laughs> what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Oh, it's really boring, but walking's my thing, really. We live in Brighton and on the edge of the Downs near the sea, so and I've got a dog, so during the last 12 months, but even before that, just getting out. It's a good, it's my my kind of creative solitude time is just getting out, walking and thinking time. Like you said, eating, I've got into food, eating well. Maybe it's a middle-aged thing. It's not exciting to hear, is it? But <laughs> enjoying creating and and cooking and and i think maybe it's getting old feeling better as a result of that you know the energy boost you get from eating good stuff sure last couple of questions what advice would you give to a millennial or a young person who comes to you and says that they want to start a career that gives them purpose and meaning in life and start a business that also does that i would say don't commit to anything too early and just see it. I, lo- I love the idea of, uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, oh, Pamela Slim, I think. She wrote a book called The Body of Work and how if you look at your career like a body of work, like artists do, then I think she says like these ingredients become the kind of recipe for your life. And I like that idea. And that's kind of what I did was I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just immersed myself in loads of different roles. Mm. I worked freelance for five years, worked in tons of companies from big banks to like little charities. And I just learned so much about myself about people about business about innovation that I'd never have known if I'd have stayed in one company or built a business that early on so kind of that was my apprenticeship really is mm. going back to that education piece yeah my education was just getting curious about how every organization ticks and how they're all different so mm. I'd probably say it to my kids too just go and have a portfolio career love it by the way range um David Epstein mm. has a great book called range which he talks about just exactly that like just get a wide variety of experiences and it doesn't really matter where it is just start just start doing stuff and start gaining experiences in many different places and it will end up creating you know this massive impact in your life yeah. because you have this re- like EDO talk about it as well the you know the, the design company I don't know yeah. if I'm pronouncing it right but they talk about becoming a t-shaped person so becoming yeah. broad and deep yeah um, and you get that from like having a wide range of experiences. So. And I think it creates amazing ideas. Like all the best people I've met who are doing interesting things have come from a different discipline to a new area and they kind of connect the dots that other people can't. And I think you can't do that if you're just kind of going up one ladder, you know. So the idea of, yeah, just going in one industry, then flipping to another or working in loads means that you'll probably be way, way smarter and more successful maybe. And my final question, Lawrence. What does you know about finding happiness at work today that you wish you knew at the very start of your career? <laughs> I think one of the most important things is just being confident in yourself and what you believe to be true. And, and I say that in terms of being comfortable walking away, particularly if you're running a service business um, or anyone who's trying to please, you know, I'm a people pleaser. And so it's easy to just say yes to everything and try and keep that approach to to life and, and work. Whereas I found if I look back at our early journey, you know, trying to please clients who I didn't really vibe with, you know, working in organizations, I probably should have just walked out and, and just followed that path. We closed our agency. Um, that was probably the most courageous thing we did, but there was loads of decisions we made before that that we could have probably walked away from sooner. So I think just trusting your gut and stuff and 
understanding that if you walk away from something, it's actually not failure. It means that you probably created space for something else. You just might not know what that is yet. Um, so that courage, I think, is important. So I think for happiness for me is about, yeah, being true to going back to the alignment piece. You can't be true to yourself unless you make tough decisions. And that's why it's not an easy path because it's easy just to say yes and be a yes man. But following the courageous path, I think, is one to aim for, even if we don't all get there. Lawrence, thank you so much for doing this. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've been speaking with Lawrence McKay-Hill. He is currently the co-founder of the Happy Startup School. Thank you for listening to the Agency Dealmasters podcast. The show would not be possible without your support. So if you're even remotely enjoying any of the content that we have here, then we would really appreciate a rating and review because it helps other people find the show, which helps us grow, which means that we can keep giving you even better content with awesome guests, which means that you can enjoy even more success in your career. So please head over to Apple Podcasts now on your phone and give us a rating and review. Thank you. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description.